0: Warning, the following episode contains discussion of sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. This is Loudspeaker.
1: Hey there, I'm your host Sarah Moneris and you're listening to the WE Podcast, where together we find inspiration, encouragement, and growth through stories and real talk here we navigate the messy human experience together we raise our voices and speak our truth in this space we value the conversations that broaden our perspective and help us fully understand that we are connected we are capable of growth and that we are not alone are you ready let's get real You're listening to episode number 109. In this episode, I get to talk with Sarah Caton. Sarah has worked as a biologist and later owned a preschool in Boulder. She's recently made major changes in her life and realized that what she really wants to do with her one precious life is make art, write books, and play music. So she closed down her school, moved into the mountains, and started aiming to support herself with her true passions. Now her dreams are coming true. She has co-founded Voices Rising Press, and this year she plans to publish her first book, record her first album, and has started booking music gigs again after a very long hiatus. She's at a place in her life where she lets her heart lead the way and believes love is the answer to every question. By sharing her authentic voice, Sarah hopes to help others heal and follow their own dreams as well. In this episode, we talk mostly about the content of Sarah's book and her deconstructing of religious beliefs in her life sarah and i have very similar backgrounds and i could really relate to her with highly religious families growing up and we really have an open conversation discussing how that affected each of us as well as what sarah has learned since deconstruction and helped her find her way in the world and how she's been living and creating life on her own terms since. So let's dive in. I'm excited for you to hear. I'm super excited to have the amazing Sarah Caton here with me today to have a conversation that I'm really, really looking forward to because this is something I haven't talked about much, but something that really has played a huge part in my life. And so I'm really excited for you to be here. Sarah, thank you so much for being willing to come on and have a conversation with me. Well, thanks for having me. I'm
0: super excited about this.
1: So a couple of Weeks ago, the way that I met you was being on your podcast. And so everyone will have to go and check out your podcast as well. We got to talking during that episode about our our histories, our our growing up and how very similar they are in a lot of ways. And so I'm excited to go back to that conversation and expand on it more and and let's my listeners be a part of that
0: conversation as well. I was surprised as I was reading your memoir, just how many similarities there were. So
1: why don't we have you just start out by giving just a little bit of your background and kind of what's led you up to maybe where you're at today?
0: Well, I grew up and my dad was a Baptist preacher who followed the call of the Lord, you know, so to speak, to be a missionary preacher to the Mormons in Utah. So his main goal was to convert a Mormon into a Baptist and have them become like lifelong church members there. And so he considered himself a church planter. He would go around and get these churches started and then find a long-term pastor and then move into a new community where there was nobody and start all over again. So that just kind of meant like we were always outcasts (laughs) wherever we went. like the mormons didn't really want us there but the most of the towns we moved into would be like 99 to 100% mormon mm-hmm. and we just start from scratch like starting off with some bible studies and then trying to build up this church there and he was surprisingly successful at it like i'll have to give him props for that like being good at what he did and then my parents raised five kids i was the second oldest and they homeschooled us kind of kept us really isolated socially as well as You know, just like not having any context of how the world thought or what was in popular culture or anything, like just sort of being that outcast, like everywhere you went, not knowing anything about anything, except if someone talked about the Bible, boy, I'd know a lot about that, you know? And then I went off to college, and at some point, I ended up meeting this guy who I eloped with, who was twice my age, not a Christian. And that was the beginning of my deconstruction, I would say. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Well, it was actually a very toxic relationship and he was like controlling and manipulative. And it was like, I had just jumped from one controlling setting into another Mm -hmm. minus God, but still very controlling and patriarchal. And I, by leaving the marriage a year later, I was very young. I was like 20 when we got married and 21 when I but I realized that I was also leaving God and the religion and the church and everything at the same time. It just all kind of happened at once. Like finding the strength to leave that marriage also gave me the strength to examine other things in my life and say, like, what else is controlling me yeah. <laughs> and telling me how to live my life? And it just never settled with me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember having a lot of doubts my whole childhood, you know, just these questions of whether. Like, how is it possible this could be the one true faith in the whole entire world, you know, like of all the religions? What about people that have never even heard of Christianity? Like, are we still the right, only right faith? Like, I just really struggled with that and the arrogance of that, you know. And I think that was ultimately what caused me to really question it was like this insistence that everybody else was wrong. Yeah, I can completely identify with that. Right.
1: I I wish uh, that I would have had more awareness at a younger age. It took me a long time. I mean, my deconstruction has really only been in probably the last five years, and I'm 41. And I think, gosh, like it being so ingrained. And so one thing I want to say before we really dive in to this further is I have a lot of friends who are Christian and I don't think all Christianity is bad and I don't want it to come off that way. If I think that people, if it works for you and, and it's where you find your comfort and then, so that's great for you. I'm happy for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. I want, and I
0: would, yeah. And I would also sort of put a disclaimer on it and say that there are different kinds of Christians out there. Totally. There's different kinds of Christian religions out there. There's different, they're almost like cult-like ones that I was in. Yeah. And then there's ones that I think are actually just more community-based and supportive and loving. And I know Christians personally, like ones I went to high school with that, you know, they're just way more accepting and open and just letting people be who they are not so judgmental. Yeah. And so, like you, I don't condemn all religions and all Christianity. And and I think there's certainly some that are more controlling and manipulative than others. Totally. Yeah. And it's important to know if your religion is manipulating you or not, right?
1: Totally. Yes. My experience also more of like a cult-like thinking, very, very fundamental, you know, so, so fear-based, very controlling. And it's really interesting because I had always known that it didn't fit for me at like, I'd always known, yeah, I don't, this just isn't, <laughs> this just isn't quite right. But I was so afraid to question it. So, so afraid, you know, to burn in hell and to all the things that I had been so indoctrinated with growing up and it, a really pivotal turning point for me was there's a podcast one of my friends sent me that I grew up with we grew up in the same church together and she sent me this episode and it's called it was like about the Bible camp mm-hmm. I guess this is a show on Netflix or something mm-hmm. and she she sent me the episode where they talked about the Bible camp and she was like this is our childhood, like they're talking about the way that we grow up. And I listened to it and it was really probably the first time that I understood that the way I grew up was abusive, that the way I grew up was not normal. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? How yeah. much brainwashing. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, to hear other people talk about it the way that they were talking about it was really eye opening for me
0: yeah and and i do think it takes a while to become even aware like i think i was in my early 20s maybe even close to mid 20s before i even used the word abused like i was abused it just it just it occurred to me that i had been justifying their behavior the whole time and then when you really stop and say no that's abusive like mentally Mm -hmm. emotionally and physically, you know, like, I'm grateful I wasn't sexually abused. And I know people that like, such as yourself, and other people really face that. And I think that's extremely awful. And I'm so grateful that I didn't experience that. But there's other layers of abuse, you know, there's the, like, the abuse of being afraid, your whole life, that your thoughts are going to separate you forever from your family, and that you're gonna, like, die and burn this horrible, excruciating pain forever, like to lay that on a child is so abusive and to make them think that because of something they think that that's just a natural human thought mm-hmm. is going to create all of that, you know? And then you question yourself. I found myself praying the sinner's prayer like instantly because mm-hmm. I just thought, well, maybe it just didn't take, you know? <laughs> mm, totally. Yep every time I would do something like, I thought, oh, a Christian wouldn't do that. And I would quickly pray that prayer and think, okay, maybe this time it worked.
1: Yeah. I, I think I've prayed it about 50,000 times too, <laughs> because the reality um, is, is we're human, right? And yeah. Yeah. But when it's so ingrained in you that you are a sinner, that you are bad, because that's really the message, right? That I grew up with, like you are you're innately bad born that way yes yeah. and you need saving and rescuing from yourself because you're so horrible so how can you then ever learn to trust yourself how can you then ever learn you know to really value yourself i mm-hmm. think it's it's pretty hard to undo those things
0: right it's kind of like that analogy of the bricklayer when they lay the first row of the bricks if that row is laid wrong and crooked and wonky, the rest of your wall that you build off of that is gonna be, it's gonna be hard to keep that wall, you know, sturdy. And I think that's how, like, when we, the children that are raised in the faith of that controlling fear mindset, that first layer of the brick row gets laid and it's like, you're bad, you're a sinner, you're terrible, you mm-hmm. were born this way, there's nothing you can do about it except beg for forgiveness beg for salvation and I think when you lay that first row that way it's so hard for the child then to grow up with a healthy self-esteem and a healthy self-image it's like you're battling constantly that view of like but I'm awful mm-hmm. deep down right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think to unprogram that that's been my work for the past 20 years honestly is mm-hmm. trying to unprogram that I'm a terrible sinner and I need saving by this God father man who is sometimes kind and loving and sometimes judge me judging and murdering right vengeful Mm wrath full of wrath I think is what doesn't it say that somewhere yeah (laughs) wrath and jealous and like all these traits they describe God as and Mm -hmm. it's like if you put those all together you'd be like oh that's a toxic relationship with a toxic person like get away
1: it's true yeah i'd never thought of it that way right Mm -hmm. i do remember arguing with my parents growing up because there was so much conflict in my family and and saying like this manipulative judgmental mean god is not the god even that in the bible it says God is all loving and, you know, all accepting and Jesus hung out with the sinners. And I remember arguing even when it was all based on the Bible and saying, I don't understand why you're making God be this when it says that God is loving and that's the God I want. Right.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, there's that whole the, you know, the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Ghost, and they all these split, it's almost like three personalities. Mm -hmm. Like, almost I had to think of it as a God with three different personalities, like dissociative identity disorder, God, right? Mm -hmm. And one of them is vengeful and jealous and demanding. And one of them is loving and kind. And one of them is like this ghost almost, that moves in mysterious ways, you know, that's the only way I could conceive of it as a kid, because that's the, you know, the premise is it's supposed to be confusing. We're not supposed to be able to understand things about God, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember the thought, too, that if you were to ever just stand in the presence of God, you would die immediately. Did you ever hear that?
1: Yeah. Like the veil, or isn't there, Yeah, like when they went into this one place, the they temple, would, they would die instantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And so there's this idea of like God being this kind of punishing abuser Mm -hmm. if you don't respect him enough or obey. And then on the other hand, oh, loving, forgiving God. But then that, again, that just sounds like someone who's gaslighting you and doing the love bombing and abuse cycle. Like, oh, I love you. Come over here. I'll abuse you. Yeah.
1: So let's talk a little bit more about your deconstructing and kind of what that looked like, and kind of how you've moved through that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's been a very slow process for me. Maybe other people, because I started so young, maybe other people would have a faster time of it. I don't know. But I think it was when I left my husband, I gave myself permission to not go to church. And still, I had a lot of guilt about it every Sunday. I, I don't know how many years it took before I could go about my day on a Sunday without having guilt about not being in church. You know, it took years, honestly. Even if I said I don't want to be there, it makes me feel yucky. When I walk in that church, I get panic attacks, right? I just start to feel panicky about those routine things. And even then, I still felt guilty Mm -hmm. about not being there because it was so ingrained. Like, you have to be in church. If church is open, you're in in that pew, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't feel guilty now. (laughs) I really don't. I feel free and happy. And I don't know how long it took for that process, but it takes so long to get that judgment out of you. And Yeah. I think this last year is
1: the first year I haven't gone to church on Christmas.
0: Right. And I still would go sometimes like on Easter and Christmas, just because those are like the I didn't go on Easter either,
1: and mm-hmm. it was a very conscious decision. Like, I this is not what I believe. This is not in alignment with me, and I'm not, I'm not going to go because I think I had that awareness before, but it was still that pressure or the guilt. Like, mm,
0: I at least need to go on the holiday, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I totally know. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like that. It's layers of guilt in a way. Like you're peeling off till you get down to the bottom, right? Someday, I don't know if there is a bottom, but
1: <laughs> but that's that. The guilt is used for that control. You don't want to feel guilty, so you have to do whatever it is you need to do to be good. So then you don't have to
0: be guilty, right? Mm-hmm. And then there was that concept of of a God always watching me and always knowing my thought, not only my thoughts but my actions at every point. And so it almost feels like you have a boogeyman watching you who's going to report you you know or see right through you if you try to pretend like you know you were somehow different and i don't know how long it again it took years to stop believing that there was an overseer mm-hmm. over my actions and over my thoughts at all times sort of recording it all in this that's what i was told anyways that all my thoughts and all my actions were being recorded mm-hmm. and they would be brought up at judgment day
1: It's funny, as you're saying that, I'm also thinking about Santa Claus.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and Santa Claus triggers me, honestly. He's the same sort of... Yeah,
1: we. I've not ever... I didn't teach either of my kids about that Santa Claus was real. We never did like Elf on the Shelf or any of Mm -hmm. that because I felt like all I was doing was Lying to them. And then also that creepiness of, yeah, you're always being watched. Somebody is always deciding whether you're good or bad. I, oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. It does have creepy watcher vibes. And I also have never taught my kids about Santa. I co parent, and my son's dad really wanted to. And I was like, okay, you can have it be your thing, you know? And he kept questioning me about it Mom, do you think Santa's real? you know, what do you think about Santa? And I just would say, I don't know, I've never seen him before. So, you know, I just kind of like, pass it off as much as I could. Uh I didn't want to crush him. But I just didn't want to be the one that was like, perpetuating the lies, because they just felt so much like the religious lie of God and everything You know, Totally. Which Mm -hmm. again, if people want to believe in that, if that's comforting and it works for them, I have no judgment about that. Like, mm-hmm. like not to put down people that believe they're being overwatched by a God and they find that comforting. Because for some that may feel like, oh, good, I'm so glad that someone's watching over me. And Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think the thing too, and, and maybe it'd be helpful to talk a bit about like what makes it cult-like like what is the the edge right? like where you mm. get into this is this is a way of believing that's beneficial for me, and it's positive to this is a way of believing that's controlling me and making me fearful and is more of a cult like culture to
0: it for sure. I don't know where the edge is, but I would say. Not allowing your kids to have any choice is way beyond the edge for me Mm -hmm. of saying to your kids, like, this is your only choice and you're out of the family if you don't believe it. That's a big distinction for me
1: is the ability to challenge it. Like Mm -hmm. the ability to say, this is what we believe you you do your your research you know you see how how it feels for you if it resonates for you and allowing the challenge like i was never allowed to it was definitely a a bad thing to learn about other religions to learn about the way that other people believed It was always so. Oh, if you do that, it's it's witchcraft or it's scary. Like it's gonna, it's bad, bad stuff. And so, not allowing you to say, "I want to challenge this a little bit," right? I want to see what else is out there. I want to learn. I want to understand. And that knowledge is definitely something that is. I was going to say discouraged, but I I think it's.
0: That's not a strong enough word. (laughs) Discouraged is a nice way of putting it, Sarah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I had full on, you know, I was fearful of questioning. And I was afraid they would find out I thought differently than them. Mm -hmm. But I was really grateful I had a brother who was close to me. He was like my best friend. He was only a year and 11 months younger. And we kind of had this little, doubters packed you know where we could talk to each other about if we had doubts or if we had any questions we could sort of bounce it off of each other and we wouldn't rat each other out Mm. so I could tell him I questioned mom and dad and I wondered about this in my dad's sermon and we would chit chat about maybe mom and dad aren't right you know and it was like he was definitely a big part in helping me have the courage to step out I think as an adult, and then later he stepped out of the faith as well. He actually is an atheist, but we both kind of gave each other that courage, I think, because no one else in my family has been able to take that leap fully, you know? so it's yeah, I was really... going
1: to ask if you still have contact with your parents or what that looks like. Well,
0: I did for a long time. It wasn't until like three years ago that I realized, you know, they weren't they weren't able to treat me well. While I was outside of their faith, like it just couldn't, I tried for 20 years. I really wanted to have a relationship with them and keep close, but it just, they just had a way of making me feel yucky and like an outsider. And Mm -hmm. I finally just said, no, you know, I don't need this and it's hurtful. Mm -hmm. And so for myself, for my growth and healing, I decided to go no contact with uh, all the religious people Mm -hmm. and not necessarily any, you know, I just had to do it for because they were all in contact with each other and it just felt safer to be out- outside of that circle. Maybe someday it'll be safe to, for it'll feel safe for me to go back in on limited terms. That's just something I have to explore and feel out, but for now this is like what feels good to me. Mm-hmm. So my brother lives in New Zealand and we don't talk very often, but we do connect, you know, on video chat sometimes and Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's hard because I do think that Leaving the faith or leaving the religion, I should say, a lot of times means leaving the relationships yeah and and so I think that's another thing that really keeps people you know tied in there,
0: yeah, and that was definitely a motivation for me to want to stay was I didn't want to lose my family, essentially, you know I mean. Who does? Mm-hmm. But we don't always get to choose that. We don't always get a perfect family with the supportive parents and the cozy cousins that always hang out together. And, you know, that's how I imagined it. But it's like, I think we talked about it last time on our podcast is sometimes you just have to create your own family that's working for you, that's healthy for you. And, and I definitely have. So,
1: yeah, we give our. We give our families too much
0: room to treat us poorly a lot of times. And too much power over us when really we should be saying like, I want to have a relationship, but these are my terms. And we should be allowed to have any terms that we want on relationships with other adults, you know, like mm-hmm. even your parents.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My dad, my dad passed away in 2018, I think it was. Yeah. Mm. And up until his death I still very much wanted to please him. I wanted him to be happy with me. It was really I had I had started challenging that, but still it it constantly went back to his approval, right? Constantly seeking and wanting his approval. And after he passed away, it was so interesting because it was like this space opened in my life that wasn't there before right like this this space had been so much energy and space had been taken up with that fear of him not being happy with me or that fear of upsetting him right and once he was gone that was no longer there and so sometimes i think like i didn't realize how Consuming that was until it wasn't there any longer, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I do. I really do. I think that's part of my freedom in these past three years is letting go of that approval, even though I told myself I'd let go of that. It's like there's still this little part that this of a little girl wanting her daddy to say, Good job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And feeling like it would never come. But when I made the choice to say, Look, I'm ending this. It felt like, like you, it was just like letting go of all of that need for approval or trying to constantly seek after something you couldn't get. And it felt healing, you know? And that's part of the healing is just not having to live up to that anymore. Yeah, that's a huge weight to release. And I felt like it was coming out in my relationship towards my kids. Like I wasn't being as good of a mom as long as I kept feeling like I wasn't good enough as a kid. I don't know how to explain that fully, but that's how it was coming out. And as soon as I could let that go, I was really able to fully and just shift towards being a good parent and mm-hmm. giving them that unconditional love and acceptance that I really wanted to receive.
1: yeah, I don't know. I don't know that the desire for a healthy relationship with parents ever totally goes away either. Yeah, I mean I up, think up. it's it's probably something that's always there cuz I know like holidays when I see people posting their big family gatherings, you know, on social media or you know their their families doing things together, I still get this twinge of sadness or jealousy a little bit about the fact that that's not how my family is. And I don't know if you can relate to that at all. But I'm like, will that ever go away? I don't know. I think I've just got to a place where I accept it and notice it. Like this is something that feels sad for you. And what do you need to do with that? You know, sadness.
0: Yes, exactly. And and I think the key is, like you said, accepting it because you can't deny it and make it go away. But that only makes it worse, honestly. If you're mm-hmm. like, I don't have a problem with that. It's no problem. Like, no, you can look at it and say, yeah, those Mother's Day ads sometimes make me feel a little bummed out because they're like, everyone loves their mom. And or, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's mom deserves a love from you. And well, I just figure though, it's like seeing an ad for race car drivers when I don't own a race car. It's just it's not for me. Right. I've learned how to just say, oh, those are for. Those ads are for other people. And I've learned to just fully accept for me that it's just not how my story is going to be. It wasn't how it was written, you know? And mm. and that's okay. And I'm learning how to parent myself now, which is sort of this cool new concept that I'm learning about, mm. like mothering yourself, giving yourself that love and acceptance and patience and kindness that you wanted to receive but maybe didn't in some way and it's been that alone has been super helpful in allowing myself to be a human and be fallible and imperfect and still love myself even Mm. like you would love your child the way they can screw up and you're not like oh now I don't love you like no way right right So you see yourself screwing up and you say, oh, but you know what? You tried so hard. Like, get up and keep going. You're listening to a podcast on the Loudspeaker Network. To find other podcasts and unique programming, visit www.loudspeaker.fm. Loudspeaker, diverse voices, unique sound. Hey, I'm Carmel Holt, inviting you to join me for Shiro's Radio. Each week, we amplify female-identifying voices in music across genres and generations. Our playlist and weekly interviews celebrate the trailblazers and the visionaries. Listen to Shiro's Radio every week on your favorite station. Follow Shiro's Radio on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to check out shirosradio.com. Tune in and turn up the volume.
1: So let's talk I I just love to know a little bit more about you know what what you've learned since the this deconstruction and what's helped you find your way you know it's when you're given such a rule book from the beginning to follow that's something I've kind of struggled with too. And I still, I still am like, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what I fully believe at this point. I don't, and, and maybe it's good to constantly question, but when you're given a rule book, how do you, I mean, what has been helpful for you? What has that process looked like for you?
0: So this was sort of an interesting, right after I started deconstructing and stopped believing and allowing myself to think maybe there wasn't a God up in the sky overlooking me all the time. You know, it's just more of like a kind of allowing myself to believe it for a minute and then a little bit longer, you know, bits at a time. And then at some point I remember thinking maybe it was, maybe all these moral guidelines don't apply if there isn't a God, maybe lying is okay. Maybe stealing is okay. Like what, like I didn't know where the boundaries were because I had been taught, we don't do these things because God mm-hmm. will see you. God will judge you. Well, I'm like, what if there is no God? Is there a reason to not do these things? And so I went through this kind of period—I'd say a couple of years—where I was super dishonest. I would lie and steal, and like, I just kind of wanted to see where the boundaries were. And I do have regrets about doing that. But I learned there was a huge snapback, and it's not related to God. It's like. Karma or life or whatever, but like when you do mm. dishonest things, like you will get some bad consequences coming back <laughs> upon you. Like, yeah. and I don't think it's God, it's just life. And I experienced full on the consequences of lying, the consequences of stealing. And I was like, ugh, so I can't just do whatever I want then. Hmm. And so I started kind of having to develop my own moral code from scratch mm-hmm. because I didn't have one. If there wasn't a God, God was my moral code. You know the Bible was the reason for doing things, and then it was sort of an interesting phase of my life, I'll say for sure, and I started what really helped me honestly, meditation and learning about Buddhism and I kind of went down this I was like, okay, now I want to learn about every religion mm-hmm. and I would go to the library, I was in college at the time, and I would go to the school library and I would check out books on Buddhism and Taoism and Eastern mysticism and Hinduism. And I just wanted to learn everything about these Eastern religions that were so awful that they actually believed you would get demon-possessed if you meditated, mm-hmm. that a demon would enter your brain because you were closing it off from God or something. Mm-hmm. And so I I found Thich Han to be a very helpful, insightful teacher. I studied Vipassana meditation with... What's his name? Well, it's a long line of meditation teachers that goes actually back to like original buddha teachings where he's this is the way i'm not it's not a religion it's just a practice and i really really you know there's some aspects of buddhism that are too religious for me you know Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. i would say i mostly resonate with the philosophy of buddhism like just from a lifestyle and a practice Mm -hmm. mindset and so I did develop my own moral code, but it, it took time. It took me years and years to find out like, why we don't do certain things. But I think in a way, I do think all the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament about being kind and compassionate and giving and loving, like I resonate with all of those. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in some ways, I act that out even more than the Christians in my cult-like family do. No. You know? Yeah. And I have so much more un- like compassionate, unconditional love for them than I feel like they return towards me, but which is that's their thing, not my thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's their choice. Yeah. And I just try to keep, you know, for me, I try to live a very, a life that's in l- alignment with my own moral code and that I feel good about, that I don't have any regrets about, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's true. I am a believer in karma, yes. <laughs> but I, I like to, I heard someone say once that they have a patchwork of beliefs and I've taken that too. and, and, yeah. and use that because I love that, that, you know, just how simple of a phrase that is, but how it really does incorporate like, there's a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be just one, right? Like I just believe in Christianity or just believe in Buddhism or whatever it is. But all of the different things that resonate with us, we can put them together and make our own Quilt of, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, our own unique way of seeing the world and resonating with with energy or the universe or God or whatever
0: it is that it can be unique to each person. Absolutely, and I do think it should be unique mm-hmm. to you. You should find your own path. We should tell our children to find their own path and not force them. So I feel very strongly about the way children and like religious cult like religions are treated. And I'm going to start writing this book called Captive Converts, where it's just like where children aren't given a choice. They're kind of forced into a belief system and fear of going to hell, the fear of losing their family keeps them there. And just like what happens after you leave even, or if you do leave, or if you don't leave, there's these ramifications in your body and in your heart and your mind that just go on and on. So I feel like it's important to just have that out there and. for any people that are either deconstructing or in the process or have deconstructed. Yeah, I think that's, I
1: can't wait to read
0: that. (laughs) You know, I'm excited. And one of the things Mm -hmm. maybe you and I can talk about this too is I'm gonna, I really feel strongly that this book needs to have a lot of real testimonies from people like real life experiences. So I would Mm -hmm. love to interview you at some point. It can be anonymous in the book, Mm -hmm. but I would just love to get, people's stories you know totally yeah it is so interesting
1: because one of my very very closest friends is christian and but we have very open conversations and she knows that i'm not and you know that we believe very differently but i love that we can we can talk about everything and it's there's no judgment there's no i need to save you you know all of those things. But even though she's a Christian, I tell her about things that I was told as a child or things that I had to do or believe or and she's like beside herself. <laughs> like I so yeah. I think even a lot of Christians don't know or understand
0: it, just how damaging it it really can be. Yeah. And I think as it's like the fundamentalist side of it that's the damaging side you know mm. i certainly know there's children that grow up in families that are christian but they aren't forced that way they're just given that choice and right. i think that's the healthy way to do it and so you know it's like being sensitive to the fact that there is a healthy way to do it and there's a lot of people that don't do it in a healthy way and kids get hurt yeah so that's the re- that's the audience that i'm going for right
1: yeah really making kids victims and really breeding kind of that victim
0: mentality. Yeah. For life. Yes. They go on to get into toxic, unhealthy relationships. They go on to develop emotional problems and mental health issues and body image issues. I know that that belief that you aren't good you started bad and that you're always going to be bad, it can come out in eating disorders. It can come out in self-harming behavior. Like all that comes from that core belief of I am no good. I am not good enough. Mm -hmm. And even when you leave the religion or the faith, you might still be operating with this underlying belief that you don't even realize is there of being not good enough or not worthy. Mm-hmm. And it just comes out in all these ways. Right? Yeah. So we have to heal it. We have to look at it and examine it to really fully heal.
1: Yeah. I I think my my mom is very much a victim. And I really think it all stems back to the religious piece. And, and it's constantly like, I have no control over my own life. It's all God, right? God has all of the control. I have no power in my own life. I have no ability to make my own decisions. Um, really disempowering in so, so many ways. Yeah. And I, yeah, I wasn't, it wasn't until I was in my twenties that I realized, well, when, when I went to school that I realized you could have your own personal power that you, you could make your own choices. Like you had power over your life in the way it, it turned out.
0: <laughs> right. And that mm-hmm. wasn't all just, giving it up to God and then trusting and going along with whatever he said. But there is that lack of personal power where you're encouraged to not have personal power. Yeah. Yeah. There's
1: a book called I Am My Own. Have you heard of that one? I've been wanting to read that one. I've heard of it. Yeah. It's one of the... Earlier books that I read when I really just started allowing myself to dive into the questioning. And it's really good, but really opened my eyes to the fact that we're taught we're not, we don't even belong to ourselves, you know, from exactly.
0: day one. And I think that, that also, in addition to that, I'm no good. Someone else owns me. I don't belong to myself. Mm-hmm. That. Also, it leads to so many of these issues that come out through our whole lives of like really not stepping into that power for ourselves, Mm -hmm. saying, I choose this, I believe this, this is what resonates with me, and really standing in it, you know, standing in your own power. Mm -hmm. And for women, especially in religion, too, I feel like the the women are just given an even lower level of power on the whole hierarchy. And I remember hating being a girl, honestly. I felt it wasn't a gender issue because I definitely felt like a girl, but I just didn't want to be a girl because they didn't have much power. You know, I was worried that I was just going to be controlled my whole life by a husband, by a preacher, by a God. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I can, I remember saying, asking my dad, why can't women be leaders in the church? Like, why
0: yeah. can't women be preachers? I don't understand. Right? <laughs> yeah, I remember having those conversations too. Of like, mm-hmm. wait, what? And as a girl, you process that. You're like, wait. So for me, that means I won't ever have a leadership position except over other women, maybe. Yeah. Because they would let women teach women or kids.
1: Yeah, I think there's a little part of that that made me just want to say, oh, yeah, watch me. Watch yeah. me.
0: <laughs> a little rebel in you. She was always there. <laughs> I know. I know. My parents, they never, they tried to beat the rebel out of me. They called me a free spirit, but not in a nice way. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she's a free spirit, you know? Yeah. And They wanted to get that out of me. They wanted me to, to break my spirit. And, and they tried super hard, you know? I mm-hmm. did get, we, we got spanked, you know, but in... Somewhere between beaten and spanked, I would say. And there was always that just fear, you know, almost a bullying like energy of like, don't do this or this will happen, you know, always.
1: Yep. I got hit over the head with a Bible when I was I don't remember how old I was. I think I write about it in my book,
0: but yeah. Yeah. Uh (laughs) I really resonated with that scene actually, because my dad would just like come out of the blue and just like flick us on the head when we were doing something he didn't like and it would shock you. You'd just be like, (gasps) oh, you know.
1: Yeah, like you have no idea. There was never talking, like talking. Hey, you know that's that maybe isn't very nice to say, or maybe you could try saying something. Whatever. There was no explanation ever. <laughs> it was just-, <laughs> right. just
0: go for the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not. Clam.
1: There you go. Okay, now I have to figure out what I just did wrong so I don't do it again. Mm-hmm. And I
0: remember too that that sense of like. Getting the joy knocked out of you. I remember one time I was laughing and being so silly and joyful. And I, it were like, wham, like, you are not acting ladylike. You are not acting serious. Get Mm -hmm. over there. Go do some work. You know, it was like I was, I remember just having my spirit like shrink down into a little ball, be like, oh, I was way too joyful and exuberant and myself in that moment and i need to shut that down you know yes yes yeah
1: i can resonate with that so deeply and then it's hard it's hard to get it back right when you've learned at such a young age who i am at my core is not okay it's hard to almost sometimes remember who who was i before all of this who who am i really and undo that
0: yeah it is and i feel like i still struggle with that people pleasing thing where i have to check in with myself in constantly even now in the moment and say wait why am i doing that you know like is that a people pleasing thing or are you really living into your truth and i have to sometimes go back and sometimes i have to go back and change what i said like, like wait you know what i was taking on too much or you know mm-hmm. yeah. like i'm constantly reevaluating myself even now, to say, are you living in your power? Are you speaking your truth? Are you being yourself? So it's, I don't know if it's ever going to go away forever. It'll just get easier and easier probably to recognize.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. Have you heard of the Enneagram? Yes, I have, yeah. I've always been... Really like curious about it. I think it's super cool. And I love those kind of like personality assessments and stuff like that. Just constantly diving into who you are and what your gifts are and all of those things. But I would take the Enneagram over and over and over and get a different number every time. Mm. And I'm like, what is, what is happening? (laughs) Why can't I, all these people are so set on this is, this is my number. So I ended up taking a little class that was given. And I found out during that class that I wanted to be a two, which is the helper, like the most accommodating, what I viewed was the best number, which really mm-hmm. is probably what I was indoctrinated to be, right? Like all women should be twos, but I'm actually an eight, which is one of the more assertive leader. Like, And I did not want to be an eight because... I mm-hmm. <laughs> feel like that was acceptable
0: enough or something. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I really had to look at, wow, like, if this is who I am, and I've been trying to fit myself into this other, you know, number, how do I nurture who I really am? And that literally was just six months
0: ago. (laughs) Oh, It's such a journey, though, like discovering ourselves and who we really are. I think after trying to like push that down for so long, I'm still finding out and I'm 43. And I'm still finding out all these things about myself. Even now, I feel like I'm like growing up, parts of me are still growing up.
1: So mm-hmm. yeah, and I love that of what you said about the mothering yourself mm-hmm. piece. I think
0: that's huge, and that's been a, actually really helpful in this past year of helping me. I feel like grow up certain parts of me that weren't growing up very well. I don't know how to explain it, but it's been really helpful. So, mm-hmm. so I want to just switch
1: real quick because I want our listeners to hear about kind of this switch that you made where you were like, "Mm, yeah, I'm not living my life the way that I want to. And so I'm going to change everything and get into
0: alignment. So can you tell us more about that? Well, I mean, gosh, so I ended up through this long process, I ended up owning a preschool in Boulder for nine years. And I would, at first, it was really fulfilling. And I you know, learned how to make playgrounds and I remodeled our playground and I would hold these big fundraisers and I was forming this community and it was, it was beautiful. You know, it really was. And then after like four or five years, the people pleasing part of me was giving way too much all the time, all the time. I had no time for myself. I had no time for my kid. I just had no time, but I didn't stop and say, Oh, (laughs) I need to change this. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just kept plowing through because I didn't want to give, I didn't want to let anybody down. That mm-hmm. was my people-pleasing self. I didn't want to let these families down. I didn't want to let my parents down in terms of, you know, being successful. I didn't want to let people in my life down. There was this big part of me that just kept going even though it's very unhappy. And I was doing this preschool owner job from morning till night, most days of the week, doing payrolls, doing interviews, work, you know, it's just a million behind the scenes things. Yeah. And I started to feel like no matter what, like no one noticed what I did. It was only if I didn't do something that I would get, you know, what, why, why isn't this here? Why isn't this happening? It was like, I was forced to self-sacrifice. Basically, Mm -hmm. I got myself into that role. Yeah. And I couldn't not self-sacrifice. I couldn't not live an unhappy life. Because as soon as I stopped working so hard, everybody would just bitch and moan. Mm -hmm. And I just started to feel really unhappy, you know? And I got married and I had a kid in that same cycle of being unhappy in this ownership role. And then we expanded the business and made it even bigger and took on a new property and we remodeled that new property. And I mean, Mm -hmm. we just really went in to, I thought this was going to lead me towards more. Mm -hmm. I thought by expanding, I could actually make enough to hire someone to run it for me and I could go find my freedom. right? And that plan didn't work out because person I found to run it for me like she just sort of crapped out on me and left and uh, I had to decide right then and there like in the span of one day I had to make my decision do I go back and run the school myself and go back into that cycle again or do I let it go and Mm -hmm. let everybody down Mm -hmm. and it felt like I just didn't want to you know I didn't want I was holding this ship up in the air and it was going to crash if I let it down Mm -hmm. and I finally just had to like let go watch it all crash. and it was it was hard that was just it was so hard and then i had to go and face it all you know i had to we tried to sell the property and it wouldn't sell the economy and everything was like going through a recession right then and we had to go back and take the whole school apart piece by piece and sell off every single thing every book every toy every piece of furniture and just like process process Process. And, and then I realized that the marriage really wasn't working for me at all. It was based on false beliefs about myself and that helper role. And I had to let that go too, which was also really hard because I didn't want to be twice divorced and I didn't want to have my kids growing up in a split home again. And I didn't want to be a single mom at 40, <laughs> trying to figure my career out. You know, it was like, oh, do I really? But yeah. No, I have to do. You know, it's like we were talking about in that last podcast about your book, where you just come to these moments where you're like, oh, I see what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be really hard, but I'm going to have to just do it. And so that's where I found myself last year during the middle of the pandemic, still healing from a broken foot. And I just said, this is it. I have to go. It's been a hard year, but now things are getting so much better. And I'm actually figuring things out and being way more creative than I've ever been in my life, honestly. Mm -hmm. This this great outpouring of creativity and freedom to say what I want to say and starting this publishing company with Shelley and actually starting to like my memoir is going to be edited next month, which is scary. It feels like, (laughs) okay, so sometime this year, I think I can get it out there, you know?
1: Yeah. And so you've moved into this stuff is heavy. I don't want to like all these things you don't want to carry anymore into Your creative space and your singing because you're also a singer, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah.
0: And writing songs, I have to say, writing books, being creative is a really great way to like get that pain and that healing process, like work through it. Like, Mm -hmm. I've written songs about my family, about my growing up, my mom and my dad. I've written this memoir. I write, I mean, just for me, creativity and songwriting and any kind of writing actually just is my platform of getting it out for some people like art might be their platform or maybe something physical or tattoos or whatever like it, there's lots of ways to express that but i feel like it just has to be expressed somehow it's definitely he- healing to express yourself
1: yeah and to be able to express yourself without The limitations of what is this person going to think or that person? I think when I did release my book, I wrote that book still with some fear of what other people are going to think. I think now, like if I were to go back and rewrite it, would it be... Different, you know, to think about. Yeah. (laughs) That'll be the next one. (laughs) Yeah. But just being able to move into that alignment, I think, is so powerful. So, as we kind of wrap up, if you were to give people some tips, right, from the deconstructing and moving into your power and who you really are, what you really want to be doing, could you think of like, here are my top 3 tips.
0: <laughs> I'll just say what worked for me and people could take that or leave it, you know.
1: Mhm.
0: For me, definitely creativity, writing music, writing in my journal, writing my book, writing poems, just getting it out in a creative way was part of my healing. And when you see it out there, it can become something beautiful, right? And not so damaging like that song can really be gorgeous and touch your soul every time, even though it was based on something really Painful. So there's a way. It's like a transformation process, right? And then learning and studying about everything I wasn't allowed to, and being open to just accepting what I believed and not putting limits on it. Like, well, I have to be this, or I can't be that, or I can't believe this, or I have to believe that. Like, just kind of being like wide open and learning everything I could, and then filtering out what of that really stuck with me informing my own belief system. And then I would say, finding a good community that is not in, you know, not religious, or for me, really helpful is joining like these Facebook groups for people that are deconstructing and finding my community is deconstructing people. (laughs) Mm. People that we can talk about, like, hey, do you guys remember this? Or did you all experience this? And everyone could be like, "Oh my gosh, yes!" And it can be this shared experience of growing up and then growing out of that. So,
1: Ooh, I I don't know about these Facebook groups. Well, I'll have to huh? send you
0: some like invites or join yeah. or like, something because they've been really helpful in just kind of finding humor and healing and and community and like empathy for people that are going through that same thing. Mm-hmm. And all different levels. Some people. Just now getting out, or still kind of in it, but with one foot out the door, and some people have been out for many years. I find them really helpful. Yeah, for sure.
1: So many good things about social media. There can be bad things for sure, but so many awesome things too. I think, especially when it comes to connecting and finding your people. Because mm-hmm. think, I think back like, well, I don't even know if I didn't have social media at all right now, I'd probably think I was the only one still, right? Who thought or who was questioning or wanting to challenge because most of my people who are on the same page with me in that sense, I've met, they don't live here. They don't live in my neighborhood.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, it's just, it broadens your ability to get into like, like, yeah, within your small neighborhood or town, there might not be very many Mm -hmm. going to the whole US or the whole world. You find a lot. So exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's definitely been good. I like Facebook groups for that reason of just being able to share privately with just your people. Right. Because there's things I would, you know, talk about and discuss and post in there that I really wouldn't want to just blah for everybody in the Facebook world.
1: What's been
0: the most vital to your growth? I don't know if it's the most, but is learning how to trust myself. Mm. And that's been a slow process. (laughs) feel like that's been my biggest hurdle even now. And one that I talk about with my therapist who has been really helpful is just how do you learn how to trust yourself and believe that you are going to be sufficient and that you are going to be adequate to take care of yourself and that you can make good decisions and that you can follow through with commitments. Those sound like things we should know, but I haven't known them my whole life. And I haven't known like trusting people, trusting relationships. I've had some really Terrible experiences. One of my biggest hurdles is learning to trust who I choose to form a relationship with as a friend or someone in the community. You know, mm-hmm. I find myself going, Oh, should I trust them though? Because in the past, you know, we right. <laughs> haven't made good decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's it's a journey though. It's not yeah. a, it's not a arriving at a destination being like, That's it. I've got it. Totally. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. There's lots of three steps forward, five steps back. <laughs>
1: I have a hard time trusting other people. I have a hard time trusting myself. And it's absolutely vital to tr- to be able to trust ourselves. And that's really what's helped me with anxiety and working through anxiety is realizing, you know, no matter what, I can trust myself to respond the way I need to respond if that thing were to happen, right?
0: And I wonder sometimes how much anxiety comes from that lack of self-trust. Like how much of my anxiety that I get is coming up from that.
1: So much Mm -hmm. for me, at least it's really stemmed from that.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I actually, I woke up in the middle of the night with severe anxiety and I couldn't even place. I was like questioning all these things. Like I realized I was wondering if I had done something wrong Mm. (laughs) and I was rehearsing through my brain. Like, did I forget something? Did I do something wrong? And I don't know. Yeah. I finally just like meditated and, Tried to think of other things and went back to sleep. But Yeah, it's so
1: programmed. Walking away from this podcast, what do you want to make sure that people know?
0: Gosh, I don't know. Mainly that we're all on our own journey. And wherever you are on your path, you can just start where you are. If you want to trust yourself more, like you can start now. And there's no limits on you. You can do whatever. I think I grew up with a lot of limits. On what I could believe, on what I could do, on what I could say. And even though there are consequences, if you're choosing the wrong choice, like we should all have freedom to make a choice, right? Mm -hmm. And experience consequences if we need to. But just really like owning into our own power and being like, I'm going to make a decision for myself. I'm going to make a good decision for myself to have the power to do that. Thank you for listening to
1: the Wee Podcast. What a wonderful conversation. This is really the first time I've talked openly and publicly about my feelings surrounding my experiences with religion and how it has affected me. It's always helpful to be able to talk with someone who truly gets it. I know it can be a touchy subject to breach and I hope that it brings you nuggets to think about and insight into your own life, no matter what that means for you. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts, takeaways, or favorite moments from the episode. So post the episode on social media with your biggest ahas and make sure to tag me so I can see and interact. Also, make sure you're following me and the Spot so we can stay connected. This show is produced by Loudspeaker Networks. Also, credit to my talented daughter for creating my show music. You can find more of the We Podcast, as well as many other awesome things on the network at loudspeaker.fm. If you heard something that touched you, don't forget to share with your friends. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, show up for the hard conversations, choose growth, and always know that you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.
0: This has been a production of Loudspeaker Networks. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.fm.